What a glorious day. Every day is, but I feel like this is our day. And even though it's corrupted and tainted by many, yet it is wonderful to have a day to celebrate our risen Savior. And we do that every day. We do it every Sunday. But this is a special day in which we specifically, as a, as a group of believers, celebrate our risen Savior. And it's my favorite day of the year. And so I'm thankful to have this opportunity to preach to you this morning about our risen Savior. We'll just title it, He is Risen. He is Risen. And I want to read the account in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 20. I won't read the whole thing, but I want to read this portion of Scripture. I'll be reading a lot of Scriptures today. I just want to saturate you with the Word of God and its clearness and its overwhelming evidence and inspiration of the truth. That a man named Jesus from Nazareth died on a cross, was buried in a tomb. And just as he said on the third day, he rose from the dead. And there were many witnesses that gave evidence to this. And you can be assured of it, believe it, and trust in it. And all of our hope is based upon this truth and this reality. Gospel of John 20. Jesus has died He has been buried in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. And he has been in there just as he said. He was going to rise from the dead on the third day, the first day of the week, Sunday. Early Sunday morning, John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week comes Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, John, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then comes Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever whosoever sins he remit, they they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins he retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see the hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto them, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Let's pray. Our Father, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that he rose victorious from the dead, that you raised him from the dead, and that he ascended up into heaven, and that he is at your right hand this very moment. Jesus, we believe that you are the risen Savior who has conquered the grave, who has conquered death, who has conquered hell, who is victorious over Satan, And you are ruling and reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have all power in heaven and in earth.
None can stay your hand or question all that you do. And that one day you are returning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray that we might believe in you, that we might trust in you, and that we might hope in you. Use your word to strengthen our faith and our resolve today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim Keller said, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything, he said. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. There's many ways you could go in preaching and talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a vast and glorious subject. But just with the little time that we have this morning, I want to first just spend a little bit of time going over again the reality of the resurrection. That this is a truth, this is a reality. Just as sure today that you're breathing, just to sure today that the sun is out there and you're breathing in that resurrection air, just as sure is the reality that Jesus Christ is alive and sits at the right hand of God. Secondly, talk about how because of this reality of the resurrection, you have a unique relationship with this risen Christ. And then lastly, talk about the ramifications of this reality and relationship you have with the Savior in your life. What are the ramifications of having a relationship with the risen Savior? What does that mean for you and I? What does that look like in our life? And why is it so important? There are some that would say that uh, well there are many that would say that there are core foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. And certainly, most would say that the resurrection is one of them. But many throughout the years in church history have focused on other truths, other foundational truths, as the central truth of the Christian faith and of the church. We have an example of that where the communion... The Mass has become the central focus of one particular group of people. But I think if you read the Scriptures and you read them honestly and you read the New Testament, what you'll come away with is that the resurrection, the truth of the Gospel, is the central doctrine of the New Testament church. All other doctrines hinge and hang upon the truth of the resurrection. They're all vitally important. They're all They're all of equal value, but they all hinge upon resurrection. And Paul would just state that so plainly in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, you can take everything that you believe in and throw it in the trash. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead. So everything that you do, everything that you believe, all your hope is based upon this reality that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. John MacArthur said the truth of the resurrection gives life to every area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot 
on which all Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. It goes from being a book about morality, a book, a book about, how, about how to be good. To something much more than that. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place along, alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculation. We're not here celebrating a fairy tale this morning. We are here celebrating a reality. We're living in a reality, in a real world. All other things are fairy tales, but this is the true reality. Lee Strobel, which was one that an investigative reporter that set out to disprove the truths of Christianity and disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we can throw out the whole thing. Well, in doing this, God used this to save him and bring him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe wholeheartedly in the absolute necessity and importance of the resurrection. And it changed his life forever. He said, in short, I did not become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I did as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. This is the most ra rational and logical thing that you can believe today. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so, let's be reminded of the scriptures. We have a record. We have a firm, sure record that this happened and it was recorded in the scriptures. We have it here in the Gospel of John in chapter 20 and in 21. We have it in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. We have it in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16. We have it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. So foundational to the gospel message is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. That he died a perfect death, a substitutionary death. That he was buried in the, in the tomb. And foundational, just as foundational as those two things, is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, victorious over death. That his substitutionary death was accepted by God the Father. And he was vindicated by him being raised from the dead. And then his ascension up into heaven. That is the foundation of the gospel message. If you, you don't have the gospel message if you don't have those things. Jesus Christ was perfect and perfectly obeyed the law of God. He became the perfect sacrifice and appeased the wrath of God on the cross. Then he rose from the dead. God vindicating him. And he ascended into heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so as you read the New Testament, even as you read the Old Testament, 
it was prophesying of this Savior that was to come. It was prophesying that he would become a sacrifice. It was prophesying that he would be raised from the dead. And then when you go on and you read in the book of Acts, you see that the central doctrine of the New Testament church was indeed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see it early on in the message that Jesus that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 36. Ye men and women of Israel, hear the words. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou will not leave my soul in the grave, in hell. Neither will you see your, neither will you suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance, men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, but being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your foes, your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The first message that was preached was a message about the risen Christ, the resurrection of Christ and its importance. Let's move briefly through Acts and look at a couple of these. Acts, verse, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John and all the other people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by your, our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. But he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince 
of life. Whom God has raised from the dead. Whereof we are witnesses. I keep saying that. We are witnesses. We have eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost and said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 29 through 32. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. We are his witnesses. And the Holy Spirit testifies of this truth that Jesus Christ is alive and has risen from the dead. And sits exalted at the right hand of God. Those that are filled with the Spirit of God. They are given eyes of faith to see this and believe in this and trust in this and hope in this. We are his witnesses. You, if you believe this today and have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a witness, a living witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world, to unbelievers. And so it matters what you believe. It matters what you have seen. Now can I go to these? Acts 7, 64 uh, Acts 7, 54 through 60. Acts 10, 34 through 43. Acts 13, 26 through 41. Acts 17, 1 through 4. Acts 17, 22 through 34. Acts 26, 19 through 23. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Indirectly references as Paul's bringing this letter to, I mean, as uh, Luke is bringing this letter to a close. He talks about how the church went and preached the good news, which would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding them. The central message, the foundational message of the early church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This would further be evidenced by Paul's letters, by Peter's letters, by John's letters. And every single one of them is, is, is written the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it usually is the very first thing that they talk about in their letters. Example, Romans chapter 1 Verse 1 through 4, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, 
Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead, by the resurrection from the dead. And he continues to talk about the resurrection throughout that epistle of Romans. He goes on. And the last time he mentions it is in Romans chapter 14 in verse 8 and 9. He says, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. And we know that there's no clearer place that talks about the truth of the resurrection than 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul, Paul spends what we have now recorded 50-something verses, 50-something verses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the way that he starts that out is just so wonderful. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. The resurrection. You have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to stand in it. And he says, by which you are saved. By which also you are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Peter, and He was seen of John, and He was seen of the apostles, and He was seen of Mary and all the other followers, and He was seen of above 500 people at once, the greater part who were still living when Paul wrote this letter, who were eyewitness testimonies, who saw and touched and ate and worshipped and prayed and rejoiced with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, in verse 12, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished in this life only if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And then he would go on to talk about the reality. Because Christ rose from the dead and because Christ is alive and because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, your, the reality of your resurrection is secure, is just as sure as Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You too will perish one day. Your body will die. Your soul lives on. But one day, Jesus Christ will raise your body from the grave and you will be given a new resurrected body. Just as sure as 
that truth of the resurrection. And you can see it in 2 Corinthians. You can see it in Galatians. You can see it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Jesus sits at the top of everything. There is none above Jesus Christ. Everyone is below him. The president is below him. All kings are below him. Governors are below him. Everybody is below him. Satan is below him. All the demons of Satan are below him. And he hath put all things under his feet and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. See it in Philippians. You see it in Colossians. You see it in 1 Thessalonians. You see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also will Jesus, uh, which slept, Jesus will, which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What could be more comforting to you and I today than to know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, meaning he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, and that he rose from the dead, becoming the first fruits of those that would rise from the dead. And if you're in Christ, you too will be raised from the dead. So sin will have its effects in the world. Sin will have its effects in your life. Sin will destroy. Sin will corrupt. Sin will deceive and sin will bring forth death. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have hope today even though sin will cause you to die. Sin will give you pain. Sin will give you separation. Sin causes cancer. Sin causes heart attacks. Sin causes these awful things to happen. All according to the purpose and plan of God. And by his loving hand. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome sin. I have overcome Satan and I have overcome the world. Are you going to have pain? Are you going to have sickness? Are you going to have trial and temptation? Are you going to be... Are you going to have to suffer all the things that Paul suffered and the other, the other disciples suffered? Yes, absolutely. And do those things hurt? Yes. But part of our comfort is that through the pain, through the suffering, the risen Savior is there holding your hand, speaking words of comfort into your ears, saying, I'm with you. 
I know what it's like. I've been through it. I can get you through this. I will get you through this. Trust in me. Believe in me. Hold my hand. But also know that this is only for a time. And one day, you will be separated from sin. You'll be separated from pain. There'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. And we're getting into some of the ramifications of the reality and relationship of the resurrection in our life. But the reality of the resurrection, all you've got to do is just read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And you're going to see resurrection throughout the whole thing. If you're not convinced of that, after doing that, then you're not born again. Because if you're born again and you read God's word, the Holy Spirit is going to testify of its truth and convince you of this reality. There is overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only from this book, but we have, we have historical evidence too that we could get into. Historical evidence that also affirms, not that we need it, but it affirms and it comes alongside of what this book teaches. But this is our rule of, of what we believe and what we practice. So this is what we go by. The reality of his resurrection. Secondly, what does this mean? If, if Christ has risen from the dead, all these things that Paul says, all these things that Peter says, all these things that John says, all these things that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking into your life, what does this mean for you? When you're born again, you're brought to faith, and you believe in this, and you receive this, and you commit your life to this, what, is, what does this mean that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and has ascended into the Father and He sits enthroned in glory? What does that mean? Does it just mean, yes, He, he paid for the penalty of your sins? Yes, yes, you're going to be raised one day because Christ was risen from the dead? Is that all that there is? Or is there a current relationship that you have and are meant to have with the risen Christ? I think that there is that that we miss out on sometimes. We are brought into a loving relationship with the risen Christ. And I think that the book of Hebrews, what the book of Hebrews does is that it shows us this relationship and how it impacts our life. Now, we don't have time to go through this, but I want you to write these things down. This is your relationship with the risen Savior. Number one, he is a better prophet to you than the Old Testament prophets. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Number two, he is a better priest and king than the Old Testament priests and kings. Hebrews 1, 3. Number three, he is better than the angels. Hebrews 1, 4. He has a better name and he's a better son. Number four, he is better than Moses to you. Talk about Moses the intercessor and how Moses interceded from God to the people. Jesus Christ is a better mediator than Moses. He's a perfect mediator. Number five, he is better than Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 and 7, 14 through 21. Six, he is a surety of a better testament, a better covenant. Hebrews 7, 22 through 28. Number seven, he has obtained a better ministry. A better ministry. Hebrews 8, 6. He is the mediator of a better covenant. 
Hebrews 8.6. He has better promises than the Old Testament. Hebrews 8.6. Number 10, he is a better high priest in a better tabernacle. Hebrews 9.11-14. Number 11, he is a better sacrifice than all the Old Testament sacrifices put together for all eternity. All Jesus needed was one sacrifice of his precious and holy blood. And your eternal home, your eternal inheritance is secure forever because of that sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. 12, he is the author and finisher of your faith. He which has begun a good work in you will perform it, will complete it, will bring it to fruition until the day that you meet Jesus Christ face to face. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2. He has a better sacrifice than Abel. Righteous Abel brought a good sacrifice, but Jesus Christ was better. Hebrews 12, 24. He's eternal. He's not going anywhere. He's just the same today as he was in Old Testament times. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal. He's not changing. His love for you today is the same as it was in eternity. And it's the same that it will be in eternity. His love has never changed for you. The current reality of that is precious because it, it, it means that no matter what changes in your life, the ups and the downs of the Christian life, the Christian walk, you face many pitfalls, you face many dark days, you face many trials, but you also have many mountaintops. You have many wonderful experiences. And Jesus Christ is the same through all of those. You're up and down, but He's the same. And He's eternal. Your life is temporary. Your life is but a moment. Your life is but a vapor. But Jesus Christ is from all eternity. And now your life is tied with his. And now you have eternal life. And no one can take that away from you. In 15, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. There's something precious about a shepherd and his relationship with the sheep. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd, he watches over the sheep. The good shepherd protects and nourishes and feeds and sustains and disciplines in love the sheep. He will not let anything harm his sheep. As the sheep go astray, he only allows them to go so far. Before, if he have to, if he has to, he'll go and he'll break their legs. And then he'll carry them on his shoulder. Jesus Christ is that shepherd. He loves you so much. He is always there with you. He is always there for you. He is always providing what you need. And he's always watching you as you tend to go astray. And he brings what you, what you need to get you back into the fold. That's your relationship with the risen Savior. You have a prophet, you have a priest, you have a king, you have a 
a high priest. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The King of the universe. The one that Paul says that all things were made by Him. By, all thing, by, by Him all things consist and are upheld. That same one is your friend. That same one is your brother. That same one is your Savior. There is no God like our God. There is no one that can compare to Jesus Christ. There's no one else like Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And John saw Him on the Isle of Patmos. And he records it in John 1. He says He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And one appeared to Him whose face shone like the sun, whose, wa- whose hair was white as the purest snow, who was strong, who was sure and steadfast. And his voice was like the voice of many waters, like thunders coming out of the sky. And what was his response? He fell down on his face as dead. You know, one of the things that we struggle with here in our country is reverence and respect. We've become so irreverent and so irrespectful, unrespectful to our God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to treat seriously our relationship with this risen Christ. We need to see Him for who He is. We need to love Him for who He is and what He's done. Because this one who is pure and holy and righteous than you could even look upon and that John fell down as dead before, He puts His hand on your shoulder and says, Do not fear. Peace be with you. I am holy. I am pure. You should reverence me. But I'm also your friend. I'm also your friend. And I am here with you. And I have called you to live a life for me. And so this goes into the ramifications of this reality of the resurrection and this relationship that you have with the risen Savior in your life. What are the ramifications for you as you consider this in your life? Well, first of all, as he said to John, John, you don't have to fear. Now, we studied this. We studied this. What does that mean? It means don't fear man or don't have an ungodly fear of me where you fear that I'm going to destroy you or you fear that I'm going to a lash out in anger against you. Instead, your fear should be based out of love and out of respect and out of reverence and out of awe and wonder of the majesty of Jesus Christ and that He loves you and that He's forgiven you and that He's accepted you and that He's brought you into His family. That should cause holy and godly fear in you. 
Don't fear me in the wrong way, but fear me in the right way. And so as we live out our Christian life, we're going to be tempted to ungodly fear. We're going to be tempted to ungodly fear. We're going to fear sickness. We're going to fear, uh, we're going to fear terminal illness. We're going to fear separation from loved ones. We're going to fear uh, pain. We're going to fear uh, financial hardships. We are going to be tempted to have ungodly fear in all those things in our life. But perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. No ungodly fear in love. But the power of love and of a sound mind is what he has given you. And so, number one, ramification of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ is that you're free from ungodly fear. You're freed from ungodly fear. If you have ungodly fear, it's because you allow that to resonate in your life and in your heart. You have the power to free yourself from that. You, if you have ungodly fear, you are a willing, you are a, a willing slave to your own fear. And you can go to the gospel account where Jesus makes it clear that there's nothing else that you should be fearing except for the one that can cast your body and soul into hell. And if you fear anything above that or anything above that, then you have a misplaced fear. And so number one, you don't have to fear, have ungodly fear in your life. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear pain. And you don't have to fear... You don't even have to fear sin reigning in your mortal body anymore. Because Paul tells us in Romans 6, he he tells us, and the command is, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. You have been given the power now to overcome all sinful actions and sinful attitudes. This is the power of the resurrected life. One who has been born again. One who has a relationship with the living Savior overcomes sin. Not all at one time and never perfectly. But you're overcoming sin in your life. Because that's the power of Jesus Christ in us. And you read that through all the epistles. He's saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you the power, gives you the hope to overcome sin. You have not only power over sin and freedom from fear, but now you have been given freedom, freedom to live for Christ, to surrender to Christ, to submit to Christ. And that's a much greater freedom than being free to sin. You talk about a bondage. The greatest bondage is being free to sin. But the greatest liberty is being free to serve Christ. So we know Galatians chapter 6 says, Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has set you free. Now how are you going to do that? How are you going to stand fast in something? 
How are you going to stand fast in liberty? Well, you're going to get out of bondage, right? You can't stand fast in liberty when you're standing fast in bondage. Get out of bondage and stand in the freedom in which Christ has made you free. He says, don't be entangled with the affairs of this life. Don't let the affairs of this life entangle you and snare you and ruin your joy and ruin your peace. Because that is Satan's goal, is to get your eyes off of the risen Christ and onto yourself and to your situation and become a victim instead of saying, you know what, he has freed me from these things. These things have no power over me. He has given me freedom to live the Christian life. And that's exciting. That's exciting. So what does he want from you and I today? And this is simply the gospel message. He wants you to trust that he has risen from the dead and that he has paid the penalty for your sin. And he wants to tr- you to trust that alone for your salvation. Not your works, not your goodness, not anything else. He wants you to trust alone that he conquered death and sin and the grave and Satan for you because he couldn't do it. And he has secured for you eternal life. And that all your righteousness is but filthy rags. And that what you need is his righteousness to cover you. And trust in his work alone for your salvation. Secondly, he wants you to serve the risen Christ. So as you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior in your life, as he, brought, as, as, he, as he has brought you to that submission. Now he says, arise and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Serve me. Take up your cross daily. Die to self. Mortify yourself. Put off the old man and put on the new Put off anger, put off bitterness, put off malice, put off worry, worry is sin. Put off fear, ungodly fear, ungodly fear is sin. Put off the old man, the old woman, and put on the new. Trust, believe, hope, kindness, mercy, goodness, patience, long-suffering. That's who you're called to be now. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means to be... A Christ follower. To be like him. Instead of being like yourself. Be like him. Serve the risen Christ. Paul told. I mean Peter, uh, Jesus told his disciples. If you don't forsake all. To follow me. You're not worthy. To be my disciple. And so. There has to be, even though we know that we still have this this sin that we're battling, we, we still know that we're tempted to wear the clothes of the old man. But there has to be a surrender and submission that says, I'm going to do everything within the spirit that he has given me to serve him every day of my life. I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall, but I'm going to get back up again because my mission in life, my goal in life, my aim in life is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. 
For me to live is Christ. For me to live, for me to breathe, for me to, to speak, for me to listen, for me to, for me to walk is for Christ. And to die is to gain Christ. So whether it be by life or by death, I want Christ to be magnified in me. So the ramifications of the resurrection is that Christ is either going to be magnified in your life or not. And we want Christ to be magnified in our life. Whether it's by our life or even in our death, we want Christ to be magnified. We're going to serve this risen Christ to the end. And then lastly, you've got to trust in the risen Christ. You've got to serve the risen Christ. And as you wait... For the risen Christ. To see him. Or his return. You've got a hope. Your hope has to be placed. In the risen Christ. Now we use hope. In different ways now. Than they used hope then. You may have some. Some hopes. That are actually wishes. Or dreams. And we wish or dream a lot of things, especially when we're young. We wish or dream that that we'll grow older, that we'll be able to get out of our parents' house, that we'll be able to go and experience new things. We we hope, we we say hope, we wish or dream that that maybe we wish for a certain education or a certain job. We wish we wish or or dream for for a family, maybe a significant other, if that's what we so desire, a family, children. We kind of have these, these dreams and these wishes that we want for our whole life. And sometimes our joy and our purpose in life gets tied to those dreams. And I think that dreams are good. I think that ambitions are good. I think that wishes are good. But if that's all that there is for you, and, and, and if those things get taken away, or if those things don't come true, and your world is shattered, then you've got a misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. If your day is affected, if your week is affected, because... Something happens that didn't go according to your plan or to your dreams. You've got a misplaced hope. Because if your hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And your hope is tied to the resurrected Christ. Then there's nothing that can happen to you. There's nothing in this world that can happen. The the greatest catastrophe, the greatest darkness, the greatest evil that we could think would come upon us. Cannot shake your hope in the risen Christ. It is unshakable. It is firm as a rock that is planted into the earth. It is firm as a mountain that cannot be moved. And if your hope is in that, then it cannot be shaken. And that's what he's called us to. Hope in the return of the risen Christ. Help me to have the right perspective about this life. This life is not all there is. This life is wonderful. This life can have purpose and meaning. 
But brothers and sisters, this life is but a dot. It is but a drop in the bucket of all eternity. We need to wake up to the reality of eternity. We need to wake up to the reality that heaven and hell lie before us. We need to wake up to the reality that we're going to perish from the earth and our soul is going to either go to heaven or go to hell. And that this truth, that this book, that this reality of the risen Lord is what determines that reality. We need to wake up because we have been put to sleep here in our country and across the world. We have a sleepy time religion. And the scriptures say it is high time to awaken out of our sleep. And Brady talked about this before. Close with this. But Satan's job is to distract you. Satan's job is to rock you to sleep. Satan's job is to get you to be intoxicated by the drugs of this world. And dim your vision. Of your, rea- of your future reality. And we need to say enough is enough. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12. Says. Look. Unto the author. And finisher. Of your faith. Who for the joy. That was set before him. Despised the shame. Took upon himself the shame of the cross. And rose victorious over death. Because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that he knew was going to be accomplished by it. He let nothing shake this vision and this reality. People spat in his face. People beat him to a bloody pulp. People put a crown of thorns upon his head and mashed it in. People made fun of him and ridiculed him. But he, let, he, he didn't let anything. It said that he set his face like flint to the cross. To appeasing God's wrath for you. So that you could be given eyes of faith. So that as you live in this life and everything is trying to get your eyes off of that. That you too can have the power to live the resurrected life. So that's my prayer for you and for me. Is that God will help keep our eyes in this evil age that we live in upon our resurrected Savior and that we will surrender and serve and have hope in this risen Christ. May God bless you and keep you.